When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Forward Progress live here on the Forward Progress YouTube channel, part of the Hammer Betting Network and powered by Pinnacle Sportsbook. Sportsbook, excuse me. I'm going to welcome in our guests for today right away. Now, usually we would have Dr. Eric Eager on with us here on the Wednesday program. He's not available today. He will be back with us next week, but I am joined by fellow pro sports bettors, Hitman, Fabian Somer. And for those of you who watched last week, explain how it's going to work. We're doing five games a week, roughly, sometimes more, sometimes less, but we're going to focus on games that we either like or have some sort of opinion on. We don't want to just run through every single game on the board and spend 10 minutes talking about stuff that none of us are going to bet or are neutral relative to market. So at least one of us will have an opinion on every single one of these games that we cover today. All the picks will be tracked via third party under BetStamp, the Forward Progress HQ account. Our best bets, as we give them out on the show at the end, will be tracked. And we're going to try to make this as forward-looking as possible. Not about what we've already bet over the course of the week, but trying to give you some information, how the market has evolved, and what we would still currently bet now. A quick review of last week. We'll start with the five games that we covered uh, in terms of the leans that we had. Pretty decent overall. You see more check marks than X's. A hitman on the right side, four out of five. Suma, four out of five. Uh, myself, three and two. Eric struggled a little bit, but had no opinion on the Dallas and the New York Giants game. Overall, though, I think probably got some valuable information out of that. The issue was probably the best bets. Uh, just one and three as a group last week. Um, I hit the Raiders, kind of got lucky with, I don't want to say his backdoor. I mean, they scored late in the fourth quarter. Um, Suma, that Steelers over, though. Like, you're probably still experiencing pain from that one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. These red zone opportunities for the Steelers are still like burning yeah. in my head. It, you know, you know, it, it knew. Uh, sorry, let me speak English properly now. I'm getting like way too excited. I'm thinking about this game and I was on the same place. So, like, it was a struggle for me. But you felt that it was just going to happen regardless. Like, it was like. You can almost feel like there was going to be such a long period of no scoring at the end of that game because Pittsburgh yeah. had to drive and punch it in the end zone and they just kept getting stopped and stopped. And that was a, a real pain point over there. But we're on to this week. Let's forget about last week. And let's start it off with one of the marquee matchups on the board for this week. It's the Chiefs at the Jags. It's a another version of it's like the revenge version for the Jags in the playoffs last year. That spread was very different. Uh, Casey closed in that game roughly minus nine and a half, minus 10 at some books. Now we're seeing Casey on the road, minus three. We have um, Travis Kelsey practicing today. Still have no idea whether or not he's going to play, but it's a little bit encouraging from the Kansas City perspective. I'm going to start with you, Hitman, on this game. Chiefs and Jags. There's a lot of people with opinions on this game. I'm curious if you have one side or another. 
I lean towards the Chiefs. It's just a little bit off my buy price at the current moment, considering that we still do have uncertainty with Travis Kelsey in this game. And I know Suma sent to us in our chat earlier about how they were saying that I forgot exactly what it was, but Kelsey had some type of procedure done that a lot of the, the Twitter doctors are saying, you know, that's a pr- type of procedure that it's going to be really hard to come back the next week. And then on the other hand, you had Adam Schefter that was pretty optimistic thinking like, you know, I think that we do see Kelsey and I'll have to say that him practicing even in a limited capacity on Wednesday probably is a good sign, but that's just something to keep in mind of. And then um, I think that the big thing on the Jacksonville side haven't seen it really talked about much is the fact that Brandon Scherf is very likely, I believe, not going to play in this game. And you're just adding another offensive lineman now to the fact that Cam Robinson is suspended for the Jaguars. So you have some some big offensive line issues and the defensive worries really didn't go away that much last week. I know Anthony Richardson was a super popular under pass yards prop bet last week it opened 208 closed like 190 and everyone's saying listen they they might be like the bears the way that they play offense and richardson threw why he was pretty efficient and he threw for i believe 230 yards on this jags team and they should have definitely covered the game we we could talk about that bad beat (laughs) maybe please don't please don't (laughs) gardner again he's on my dreams yeah, you know, money came against Jacksonville last week, and that was even with the fact the Jonathan Taylor thing and the fact that I don't think a lot of that money was pro Colts. So, I, and then you add on to the fact that Andy Reid also extra time to prepare. I know it didn't help him with the six months to prepare, or however much it was in that Detroit game, but a lot of that was Kansas City. It, it was a result that you, you're not going to bank on all the drops that they had in that game week to week. It just has to get better. So for me, a little bit off my ideal buy price right now, but Kansas City minus three would be my lean. All right, Suma, we're looking at the pinnacle number right now. So Kansas City's minus three, minus 113 on the road. The total is 51 in this game. Uh, Hitman has a slight lean towards the Kansas City Chiefs in this market, but just again, mentioned it's off his buy price. Uh, for you, in terms of a buy price, are you looking one way or another at this game and like break down this market for us how you see it right now? Yeah, I'm still leaning toward that uh, KC minus three, minus 13, because I think like worst case is you are getting maybe a bad minus three with, with, with KC and Patrick Mahomes. So probably not the typical worst case uh, for for betting the wrong side of the market. But, I mean, Travis Kelsey practicing today is, I think, extremely encouraging because I personally did not expect that. I thought, like, even if he ends up playing, he might get a limited practice in maybe on Thursday or maybe some practice on Friday and they might uh, hold him out um, early in the week. But him practicing, I think, is very encouraging so probably like a 50-50 affair um, at this point. But what I like about the matchup for the Chiefs is that, I mean, Itman already expanded. Like we are looking at Brandon Scherf dealing with an ankle sprain, very likely to be out. Then we got Luke Fortner, 
uh, he was in a walking boot on Sunday after the game. Uh, then we have Tyler Shetley uh, playing a right guard for Brendan Scherf if he's out. And Anton Harrison did not look good against uh, guys like Quidi Paye uh, last Sunday. Cam uh, Robinson still out. I mean, this is a very, very shaky Jacksonville Jaguars offensive line, arguably a bottom three unit in this current state right now. And I think getting Chris Jones back is very huge for this matchup because that interior will get absolutely destroyed by him. And that might just be enough for the Chiefs defense to get a couple key plays on like um, obvious passing downs. And I also don't think that the Jaguars um, were really consistently good at running the ball against that um, Colts front seven. And I mean, I'm generally high on the, on the Jaguars' offense going to the season, but I think with that offensive line against a guy like Chris Jones, I mean, you basically just need like two or three plays with like blown blo blocks against him and that can destroy like two, two or three drives. And, and on the other side, this is still the same Jacksonville defense that was like a bottom five passing, a bottom five unit against the pass last year. And... I have no concerns about the Chiefs offense, even if Travis Kelsey is not back because, I mean, top three offensive like Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, they will figure something out. And I cannot bank on Kadarius Tony like dropping the ball like, again like four times and in the hand of a uh, – right into the hands of Jacksonville Jaguars secondary players. Like this is not going to happen again. I think Chiefs will score. And then I really think it comes down to – that Jaguars offensive line being an absolute in, 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 in the absolute worst state to face the Chiefs when they might need to chase some uh, scores and have to have to hold up in obvious passing situations. So I echo pretty much everything that you guys have said right now. Um, even if Travis Kelsey doesn't play, I actually still like the Kansas City Chiefs in this game. I think that would be a bonus, but I am very, very down on the Jacksonville Jaguars defense. They lost Arden Key, who, by the way, was like a huge difference maker this weekend for the Tennessee Titans, but they lost him in the offseason, which is losing a significant pressure rate guy. They were not able to generate much pressure last week on the Colts without sending extra players. And on top of that, like the Colts offense, it wasn't great by any stretch of the imagination, but they had three turnover on downs in Jacksonville's end of the field in that game as well. They had the three turnovers. Like there was... This is a completely different animal with Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, extra time to prepare for this game. Again, what both of you said about the drops, I think is like completely on point. You just can't have that expectation that Kansas City is going to drop that percentage of passes going forwards in every single game. So personally, I think this number is light regardless of whether Kelsey suits up or not. And I know Kansas City's taken some money early in the week so far. There was like some early two and a halves bet up to three, now we're to minus three, minus 113. But I honestly still think that's short one way or another. So um, two leans, I think strong leans from Hitman and Suma here on the Chiefs. Hitman would like a better price. For me, I honestly think this is just playable where it is right now. And um, I make this number larger. And that's probably a product of being down on Jacksonville relative to everyone else. Um, or at least relative to market and what other people think about them. But I wasn't that impressed. And the O-line injuries as well. Like, you know, we've hit on it, but like, you know, you ha you're ha you moving a center to guard. Like Cooper Hodges is on IR, like one of their backup offensive linemen as well. Like they have, they do not have 
offensive linemen for this week. That is a problem. Like cluster offensive line injuries has historically been a massive problem across the NFL. And this is one of the more severe ones I've seen over the course of the past couple of years if they do not get uh, Brandon Scherf or Luke Fortner playing this week. So personally, I think there's a lot of upside. And I do appreciate this, Eric, in the chat. Locked minus two and a half, minus 110. Thanks to the Ford Progress Sunday Night Football Show. I did talk about this with Clive Bixby on Sunday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time every Sunday night throughout the NFL season in terms of which direction we think the lines are going to head in. Um, okay, game number two, another six significant game this weekend in terms of where these teams were ranked heading into the season. Uh, both considered bona fide Super Bowl contenders. AFC North battle. It's the Ravens. It's the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, this did have some threes earlier on in the week. We're now kind of like in the no man's land of uh, 3.25 range at Pinnacle. Uh, minus three and a half plus 103 is the line on the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, total in the game is 46. Sum, I'll start with you on this one. Bengals, Ravens. Uh, there's a lot of talk about how the Ravens have historically struggled against the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, what do you make of this matchup this weekend? Yeah, I would first off saying that I completely forgot about the Browns game because that game basically does or did not happen in my head because there were so many confounding factors for the Bengals uh, to struggle in that game. I also think that uh, we explained last week what the potential issues could be for the Bengals in that game. Um, I mean, the, the Browns defensive line completely destroyed them. This will not happen this week, in my opinion. Um, last season, we we all raved about, or many film guy film guys raved about, like how Mike McDonald had Joe Burrow's number in all those matchups because he really tried to change change the picture post snaps and uh, worked with a lot of rotating coverages and that that really messed messed up with the uh, Bengals uh, rhythm in their passing game. But last season, especially in that wildcard round game that the Bengals easily could have lost. I mean, um, the um, uh, in the starting offensive line for the Bengals, there were like Max Sharping, Hakeem Adenji at right tackle, Jackson Carmen replaced Jonah Williams halfway through the game. On the other side, uh, Kelly Campbell, Justin Houston were playing, Marcus Williams, um, uh, Marlon Humphrey, like all these guys will not be there. For the Ravens defense, I don't think the the current state of the Ravens defense is is really good. I don't know where the pass rush is necessarily necessarily going to come from, and then uh, you are really going to deal with um, Jamar Chase and T Higgins uh, facing Brandon Stevens, Ronald Darby, and Darius Washington on on basically islands or in zone coverage. Like, I think this is a completely different matchup for the Bengals compared to last season. This is also, in my opinion, the, the classic bounce-back spot because, like I said, week one, bad weather, strong Browns defensive line. Joe Burrow has not practiced for like five weeks. Now um, he's going into this game with like two weeks of practice. Weather is not looking that bad like it was last uh, last season, uh, last week. So I, I really expect a strong bounce-back game from the Bengals. And then on the other side, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens offense, it looked pretty good in, in that new scheme in, in week one, but no Tyler Linderbaum, no Ronnie Stanley. Like, <clears throat> Ronnie Stanley is an absolute start. Losing your starting center against uh, guys like DJ Reader, 
uh, is not going to be good. Like J.K. Dobbins, also a guy who consistently got a, a, a little bit more than, than the other Ravens running backs. And now you are looking at a, a offensive line with some holes against a decent Bengals defense. Uh, we don't know whether Mark Andrews is going to be a hundred percent. Just overall, I think that the situation really favors the, the Bengals here when we look at the complete uh, injury picture. And um, I, like I said, nothing from week one changed my opinion on on the Bengals. I, I'm I'm just going. Um, with a good offense here in a decent injury advantage uh, situation, even though I will say that I would prefer the minus three. I doubt it will get there with the current injury reports. I'm somewhere between three and a half and minus four for this game. But um, if I can get at some point like a minus three, minus 120, it will probably be a buy point for me. Yeah, we're going to have to rename Suma situational Suma over here, throwing out the classic bounce back spot. Um, <laughs> situational Suma has a good ring to it. Uh, Hitman, I saw you nodding your head when uh, you kind of, when Suma was talking about how he'd really love to get a three in this game. I think you would echo that as well. Yeah, who's going to win the race to the minus three, minus 120? <laughs> we're going to need to get the piss jar out and stare in front of the screen because as soon as it comes out, I think a few of us. Uh, probably look towards Cincinnati and maybe it does happen. I know um, maybe if Mark, Mark Andrews just got announced that he's practicing. So maybe you never know, maybe some news pu pushes it that way, but yeah, I, I like the Bengals. Um, I need, I'm, I need three, at, at least minus one twenty on it. Um, Lamar, I don't think it's being talked about enough. And I kind of fell victim to this as there was so much hype about Todd Monken's offense this offseason about how much better oh they're finally gonna have receivers they're finally gonna run a modern offense but i just still believe that it's still up for debate if that is the best fit for lamar i'm not ruling it out i'm kind of neutral on it but i think that we just need to see more sample sizes on if this offense is the right fit for him and obviously in game one it was a struggle their offensive line dealing with the injuries that they're dealing with. And then you have the fact that Lamar Jackson, he struggled a lot against the defense of the Cincinnati Bengals when he has played. Now it's been a little bit of time. He missed a lot of the games last year against them, but he has struggled in this matchup against their defensive coordinator. And one thing that I, I will say that, gives me just a little bit of pause is it's also been a matchup that Joe Burrow has struggled in against the, the Ravens defensive coordinator. Now we all remember in our head that 2021 game where he threw for like 520 yards against them. But in the three matchups last year, he did struggle compared to the rest of the league, his stats against the rest of the league. So just a little bit of a concern about that. But again, I think the offensive line injuries, and I think that the secondary injuries for it, it's it just makes it to be a, a bad matchup against a, an 0-1 Bengals team. So we got um, Jason pointing out Bengals are minus three, minus 121. So a cent off your buy point right now, Hitman at Pinnacle. Yeah, I mean, whenever it's a cent off the buy point, I'm usually just going to buy regardless. I think we may, might all agree on that. Sometimes you're just like, ah, I'd rather have the action than the perfect number. Um <laughs> So this comes from Danny. Uh, hot take, people are underestimating how much Burrow's injury is going to affect him. 
I think that's certainly possible. And Dan asked in the chat earlier, did Burrow look bad because of calf or was it more of weather and defense? I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, uh, Suma. Like, I know you said you're throwing the game out or Hitman, you can start because it seems like you're you're it, pretty passionate. It, about it, it was it was the one thing that was strange about it is like if you watch the game, like people were comparing it to like when he was just trying to throw simple screen passes. They were comparing like the ball. They were like, it looked like he was throwing a basketball almost. Like he almost had a tough time gripping the ball in this game. Like it, it was just a strange game. I don't know. I don't know. What, what's Joe Burrow's hand size? Is, is that maybe something we look at in the future? Hand like, size season. But you know what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Those same throws like, were happening with Deshaun Watson in the game as well. Like, yeah, I, like balls were slipping out of Deshaun Watson's hand right, yeah. right into that uh, linebacker on that one play. So I didn't see like a ton that was just making me think like, oh, this is because of his calf. It, it was just kind of a strange game for both quarterbacks, to be honest. So it, it was a little bit of a, a throwaway, in, in my opinion. So Burrow did come out with two gloves in the second half. That would indicate that there were some grip issues early on. I'm I'm inclined to believe, like I, I'm in line with Suma here, and that like it was a historically bad game for him. The likelihood he's going to perform at that level again is is very uh, small, in my opinion. But I'm with you guys. I think this is going to be two for two in terms of full on agreement on this game. I, I've been asking myself a lot, like, are these injuries already priced into market? You potentially have the return of Mark Andrews, who's got limited practice so far today, but I don't think so. Like, there, there are significant injuries on both sides of the ball for this team. Offensive line, secondary, uh, potentially you get the return of Marlon Humphrey as well, although it sounds like they're not super optimistic about him playing this week, but... The Bengals at full health against the Ravens team that's not like super deep either and that can replace these injuries easily. Uh, I'm close to four with my number here. You know, I, I I I echo everything you guys have said as well in terms of like wanting that three, but minus three, minus 121 at Pinnacle right now, uh, pretty solid price for those who, who don't want to, you know, uh, it's essentially buying the hook, but you're just converting the, the price to, to what it can be. So uh, alignment across the board here. And I do want to remind our audience here that we would never consider betting without Pinnacle being one of our sports books because of their everyday competitive odds. If you pull a bet stamp on screen every now and then, and you just look at an NFL card over the course of the entire week, you're going to see that they basically have the best line in market on half of the sides, totals, money lines. It's pretty consistent that way. And when you're line shopping, I mean, it's very important to get the best price. So bet smart. Bet Pinnacle, your trusted sportsbook for the past 25 years, and use code HAMMER when signing up, H-A-M-M-E-R. It does help support the show. We can continue producing content at the scale that we're producing at right now, which is a shitload of content. So you must be 19 plus. It's available in Ontario, not in the U.S. And as always, we would encourage you to please play responsibly. Game number three. Some might deem this the overreaction game of the week. Some might not, but Hitman, I'm going to start with you here. It's the Seattle Seahawks and the Detroit Lions. Seattle looked horrendous in week one against the LA Rams. Uh, people were concerned about Geno Smith going into the year because of the way he ended last season. He had a struggle of a game. Uh, Matt Stafford looked very good against the Seahawks defense. We now have injuries at tackle for the Seahawks. The Lions, I think we would all agree 
I don't want to I don't want to use the word fluke. It wasn't a fluke, but kind of got a lucky win in the sense that Kansas City dropped every ball that, you know, came their way. They had the big pick six in that game. And this look ahead was Lions minus three. Looking at Pinnacle right now, Lions are now minus six plus 100. So slightly shaded towards the Seattle Seahawks on plus 102. Just moved a, a tick towards the Seahawks as well. Total at 48. Are you buying this? Hitman as a overreaction to week one. Yeah, I like that you mentioned the look ahead. And I know a lot of people will dismiss the look aheads and say, oh, like it's a non-efficient market. And I agree. I mean, it's nowhere in the stratosphere of efficient as like the closing line. And the look ahead closing line is nowhere in the stratosphere efficient as the week one closing line or anything but you know there are some sharp people that are betting into that market i know you could get five figures in that market i mean you're going to move the number if you do but it's a market that you can get some money down if there is something that you think is obviously wrong so do i put a ton of stock into the look ahead no but it is something that i just think is a talking point that you can address sometimes um with that said i don't think i was on an island that if this was a week one game, I was probably around like a juiced two and a half on Detroit. I mean, I could see the case for minus three if they were to play Seattle in week one. I think that it was pretty common that Detroit was maybe a half point to a point better than Seattle in market. I was probably around a half point. And now we've gotten to the point, and, and it's a game that I did not really upgrade Detroit much. I mean, to be honest, I thought that, that their offense kind of underachieved in this game for what I thought that they were going to be able to do against a Chris Jones-less Chiefs defense. I didn't think that their passing offense looked explosive at all against Kansas City. And I think that they really are in need of getting a guy like Jamison Williams potentially back later in the season because Marvin Jones for the snaps that they're running him out there. It's just, it's not, it's not working. But um, with that said, did I downgrade Seattle? Of course I downgraded Seattle. How could you not? But for the first half, it's crazy. Like they actually had a pretty decent EPA per play. They had a decent yards per play. They scored 13 points. And then this line is cratered because obviously the tackles injury and then just arguably the worst half of offensive football that we might have ever seen. Like it was absolutely pathetic. And is, is it, is it a sign of things to come for the season? It could be, but I, and like I said, I downgraded them, but I just haven't downgraded them enough to, to get to this buy point of six. So I'm going to monitor the offensive line injuries I don't believe that Charles Cross is going to play in this game. I think that Abe Lucas, it's at least still up in the air. So I didn't bet it yet. I'm going to monitor it. But Seattle plus six is on my radar. I do have some uh, power rating value on it at the moment. Yeah, so we've we've seen this slightly ticking, as George mentions in the chat right now, headed towards five and a half. Uh, circa market-making book. In, uh, in Nevada has moved to five and a half. The pinnacle number has been getting hit a little bit uh, relative to where we started, like before we came on air, taking a couple cents. Suma, I saw you nodding your head a little bit in Hitman's breakdown there. Um, are you seeing value in the Seahawks this week? 
Yes, I do. Um, I think that discrepancy that uh, Hitman described is basically just the, the the injury and maybe the reaction to week one because like going to the season, I completely agree. Like you cannot make this higher as minus three, in my opinion. Um, so this is a steep adjustment and. I agree that the Lions did not look that good against KC. I mean, they scored 14 offensive points. One touchdown drive was that um, fake punt in their uh, yeah. uh, around their own 22-yard line. They couldn't really get too much going on offense. I mean, some part had to do that you target Marvin Jones more often than um, your best wide receiver, Amon Rassin Brown, and that David Montgomery is out-touching the explosive rookie by like uh, three to one or something. But um, I mean, I, I wasn't really impressed by them and um, Seahawks. Yes. They got outplayed by the Rams in the second half, but it was such a weird game because Matthew Stafford was shredding them on third downs, like, like on almost every third down. I thought that the Steelers, the, uh, um, the Seahawks defense was uh, was capable of, of of stopping the run this week. They might get Devon Witherspoon into the lineup. Jamal Adams might be back this this week. Uh, so this is basically just about the both tackles. And as Hitman said, like there was a chance that Abe Lucas plays, and I don't think that even forty one year old Jason Peters is that much of a downgrade um, to um, Charles Cross. So. At least they will have like, or maybe might have two still fu some somewhat functional starters at at OT, and in that case, five five and a half and six is a, a little bit too many in my opinion. There's a decent path in my opinion that the Seahawks just play very decently on offense again and keep this close throughout the game. So, yeah, I I, I agree with you. So uh, we got this in the comments. Uncle K is not going to approve of this hitman take. If there's one person in here that cares about what Uncle K thinks, it's one more than I thought we actually had on the show. Um, but I will say this. I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Now, I'm not advocating for a bet on Detroit, but I went into the year with some serious concerns about Seattle, particularly on defense, they cannot get after the quarterback. I thought this was going to be an issue. They blitzed, I think, I don't have the numbers up in front of me, but roughly 30% of the time in week one. And I believe they generated three pressures in the entire game against the LA Rams. And they're facing arguably the best offensive line in the league, or at least one of the best offensive lines in the league. I would say that I believe that playing on the road at Arrowhead, KC, game one, is a lot different than playing at home on the fast track against a defense that just can't get any sort of pressure on the quarterback with an offensive coordinator in Ben Johnson, who I think is very good for the most part. So I am, I am more inclined to play Detroit in this game than I am Seattle. And I know historically speaking, week two, if you just took the look ahead line, you forgot that week one happened and you just bet what the line should have been in week one, you probably would be fairly successful as a better I don't blame anyone who does that, but I think that there's a legit possibility that Seattle stinks. Um, and that's kind of come up in the chat here a few times as well um, in terms of feeling that, like Patrick says, I think this line may end up being an underreaction, underreaction based on this version of the Seahawks. We don't know. It's been one game for both teams, but um, I'm not in the Seahawks boat with you guys this week. If anything, 
it pains me to say this, but I'd be on the Uncle K, Joey Kanish train, and I have to watch one of those stupid Twitter videos he's going to do at the end of the week where he's celebrating another Lions win and claiming they're going to win the Super Bowl. It will cause me so much angst and pain as a human being, but I feel like that is a very, very realistic possibility, unfortunately. You know that, you know that Jason's going to clip this thing for, for Twitter? It's, you know this? It's, it's funny, too, because I grew up, one of my best friends growing up, I've known him like my whole life. He's a Lions fan since Barry Sanders. And he's the quietest guy in the world, never has anything to say. So I always had a soft spot for them. And now I run into a betting partner in Kanish where now I have to hate them. So <laughs> sorry. It is what it is, man. I mean, even if they win me money, I'll still hate them just because of Kanish and my feelings towards him. For those of you watching on YouTube, make sure you do smash that like button down below. It helps people find our content in real time. It elevates it in the YouTube algorithm. Uh, and make sure you're subscribed here on Forward Progress as well. You can get notifications whenever we go live in the future. If you're listening to this after the fact on in podcast form, please leave us a review on your preferred podcast app. Also helps people find us going forwards. Uh, we put a lot of effort into this content, so be nice to be rewarded with a high viewership uh, for the remainder of the year. Game number four, boys. Um Probably not one of the prettiest on the card, but we can bet every single one of these games. And it's the Chicago Bears and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, we covered the Bears last week here on Forward Progress Wednesday edition, best bets edition. And we all like the Packers in that game. Packers cover the game. Now, there's been another line correction, similar to Seattle-Detroit. If you had played this game last week, probably very close to a pick'em range. I think the market was valuing the Bears a little bit higher than the Bucks, And now we're getting to an area where it's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers um, that are favored in this one in the minus three range, but like a minus 2.75 type of thing. Actually, minus two and a half, minus 113 at Pinnacle. So a little bit of Bears money today. I want to walk through this one. We'll start with you, Suma. Um, in terms of what you saw last week from Tampa Bay. I know a lot of people pointing to box score metrics and how they were lucky to beat the Vikings. Uh, there's a lot to unpack for this game. Yes, absolutely. Let's start with the Bears. So, I mean, when re-watching that game and I first watched it in the condensed version and then I watched like two very good breakdowns of, of Justin Fields by Tim Jenkins and J.T. O'Sullivan. And I think what the Bears showed on defense and on offense was even worse than I expected going to the season. And I had them as my third worst team going to the season, but it was completely ugly on both sides of the ball. Their defense could not get pressure. They lost their starting nickel cornerback. Like John Love was able to eat sandwiches in the pocket, like all day long. Um, I don't think that the Packers offense was pretty consistent I think they had a low success rate, but, but high EPA per play because they generated a, a lot of big plays. But that was completely enough to drop like, I, I don't know, I think 29 offensive points on the Bears defense. And then then on the other side, like that offense is a complete mess. Uh, Justin Fields did not throw to open receivers. Every, every Everything that he actually attempted was like horizontal stuff, um, weird screens, like offensive linemen, uh, linemen blowing blocks and assignments, DJ Moore only getting three targets. And there were really a, a few plays where 
the Bears schemed receivers wide open, like really wide open, like, like, like with a radius of like three yards, no defender next to them. And Justin Fields just doesn't throw the ball. He's taking sacks. He's inviting pressure. Like this is, this felt like even worse than by the end of last season. And I mean, now they are going to travel to Tampa Bay to play a decent above average Bucks defense with a very veteran defense coordinator. I don't really see a lot of paths for success for the Bears offense. And on the other side, Yes, the Bucks were lucky to win that game against Minnesota, like uh, three and zero turnovers, goal line interception by Kirk Cousins. Um, I completely get, get that, and I was also on the Vikings and was pretty mad about that. <laughs> I don't know whether the Vikings deserve to cover, but they at least deserve to win that game, in my opinion. But Baker Mayfield and that offense, I'm not really high on them. But I think if you don't pressure Baker Mayfield, he, he can run an offense and. I don't see how the Bears necessarily can get a lot of pressure on, on Baker in this matchup. I mean, their only real pass rusher is Yannick Ngakri, who lines up about 85% on the right side. That will be against Tristan Wirfs. Um, I also liked a, a few play calls by the Bucks, like play action stuff. Uh, Kyla Gordon will be out. So there will be a 2022 undrafted rookie playing slot cornerback against, against Chris Godwin. I mean... I get that there has been strong money on the Bears so far, pushing this below a three almost, but I just think that Tampa Bay is overall the the better team, and I don't really see how the Bears can fix all those issues within one week, and I'm not sure whether Justin Fields can or is capable of even making a, a small leap this season. Hitman, there might be some disagreement on your end for this game. Yeah, um, Chicago at plus three, even with some more juice, which is still out there, is my lean for the game. I, I didn't upgrade Tampa after last week. If you watch that game, I, I thought that they got zero push trying to run the ball. And if you're going to be put in situations where even against a terrible defense that Baker is going to have to throw a lot, it's we've seen going back to Carolina, like this has just been one of the worst quarterbacks in the league over the past two seasons. Um, another thing that was noteworthy is Tampa blitzed more than any team in the NFL last week, which is kind of Todd Bowles's MO. And if you look at all of Justin Fields passing metrics, I mean, they're bad, but there's one passing metric that he's actually was decent in last season and he was decent against green bay and it was against the blitz and i don't know i i guess i i could see with fields from what we've seen he has a slow time processing things in the pocket he takes a lot of sacks but when you're getting blitzed i guess it tends to make you be a little bit more decisive you're getting more one-on-ones so it, and todd bowles is the type of guy that i don't see him changing his stripes that much on a week to week basis. Whereas like Bill Belichick will change the game plan week to week. One thing we noticed with Tampa last year is how stubborn were they on offense? I know it was a different offensive coordinator, but Bowles is still running the show. How stubborn were they where they were just running the ball when it was obvious it wasn't working. And then defensively, I think that Todd Bowles is the type of guy that's going to play his style and not adjust to a more zone heavy rush for type of, um, 
type of game plan. So for me, uh, it's been a big adjustment. Obviously, like I said, I didn't upgrade Tampa really. I downgraded Chicago quite a bit, but not enough to where I'm getting to plus three at the moment. I have to be the tiebreaker in this one. And unfortunately, I just don't have a strong opinion one way or another. I can understand the value that people might see in the Bears. Again, advanced line in this game, actually pulling up the actual advanced line was Bears minus one. And now they're um, kind of, you know, it's moved. I mean, now granted, through zero, through one, through two, not dead numbers per se, but like not a massive adjustment. One thing that was very interesting to me about watching Tampa, Minnesota, which I watched in full uh, on Monday of this week, Tampa Bay in the early going of the game could do nothing offensively, uh, which was very surprising in the sense that like you'd figure they would at least get some chances with the Vikings applying some pressure via the blitz as well to have some one-on-ones outside with their wide receivers against a bad group of corners. They could do nothing towards was roughly the end of mid to end of the third quarter. They really started playing up tempo and everything started working for them. And Mayfield seemed much more comfortable. Now, is that going to happen for the majority of the game? My gut inclination with this coaching staff is that they tend to lean way more conservative and they'll probably just go back to doing stuff that doesn't work because that's what they've kind of done for the last three or four years as a whole. So no strong opinion one way or another. Um, but the Bears might be really bad, and I'm also bracing for that. Like, this could be a team-picking top three overall again. Suma, you wanted to add one more thing here. Yes. Did you guys watch the end of that game where our Todd Balls went for it on well, fourth I, and two I, in his <laughs> own half? Like, <laughs> he wouldn't do it with Tom Brady. There? He wouldn't do it with yeah. Tom Brady, but he'll do it with Baker Mayfield. I know, Well, you know what? <laughs> at least, At least he learned. You know, I, I, it's funny you mentioned that, and this is off topic, but Kyle Shanahan did the same last week on a fourth and one, like right in around midfield, which is historically like Kyle Shanahan punt territory. And finally, he's like, yeah, we're going for it. And they picked up the first down. So I guess year to year, some of these coaches actually do learn something in the offseason. And um, maybe Todd Bowles is maybe he's going to get more aggressive this year. Maybe he'll get more aggressive. Um, our final game on the horizon right here again good thing we can bet some of these games and we can certainly bet the giants at the cardinals cardinals were pretty feisty last week at home to the washington commanders uh uh, or on the road at the washington commanders uh i was sweating some survivor picks on washington just like why did i do this to myself sam howell you were like what what did i do Ultimately, Arizona ends up covering the spread rather easily in that game. The Giants never came close to sniffing covering the spread against the Dallas Cowboys. They just got blown out of the water. And now we see the market with the Giants laying five and a half on the road. The total is at 40 in this game. Hitman, I'll start off with you here. Um, Are the Giants as bad as they looked last week? Or is this just as situational Suma might say, is this a good bounce back spot for New York? I don't, you know, you would think after that game, it's like, all right, we're going to downgrade the Giants a zillion. I, I didn't downgrade them I, that much. I mean, it was a downgrade, but it wasn't as much as you would think off of a 40 to nothing loss. And I, I just think that Dallas is a really bad matchup for them. We said it last week. Any of the top teams, especially the top teams that could just 
dominate their offensive line have been problems for them going back to last year when they struggled, got, got killed in every Philly game. They got killed in every Dallas game. It's just a bad matchup for the Giants. But what's the one thing that we do know about this team? It's that when they do face inferior competition, they've been pretty good. And Brian Dable has done a good job just not losing the game. And when you're playing a team like the Arizona Cardinals, typically, I mean, if you're just not going to lose the game, you're going to have a good chance of, of winning and you're going to have a chance of covering against them. So I do think that it's, it's a coaching edge for the giants. It's a rare time that they have a clear, better roster. Josh Dobbs was as bad as we imagined he was going to be. So for me, I mean, I don't really have a, a strong, strong stance, but it would be the giants that I would be leaning towards. Suma break this one down for us. Yes, I agree with Hitman here. This is a completely different game to me. Like, I don't think that there's any major reason to downgrade the, the Giants after that game because, I mean, we talked about it. We didn't expect it to be 40-0, but we knew already this was an awful matchup for the Giants. That game was basically over by the, hand, by, by the end of the first quarter. And at some point also, you, you could really feel that Neither team wanted to play like the full 60 minutes. Like that game was over. And um, I mean, Arizona, there were some tweets like, oh, this team is playing hard. Gannon has these guys ready to, they, they're, they're going to be killers out there or something. But after watching that game, I, I think that was a little bit overblown because I mean, that Arizona offense, first of all, couldn't do anything in this game. They had nine offensive points. When you exclude that uh, fumble return touchdown, which was really weird, like Sam Howell basically just fumbling, fumbling away the ball in front of his own end zone. And then on defense, first of all, on the TV screen, it looked like, uh, on the TV broadcast, it looked like our Arizona is getting decent pressure out there. But after watching that game, and I think some charting numbers will agree with that, is that... <clears throat> A lot of the pressure that Arizona was generating was basically just Sam Howell in, inviting pressure and holding the ball for close to three seconds per average. And he got happy feet real quick. That offensive line was not playing that good overall. And um, I think, who was it who tweeted this? I can't remember, but according to True Media, Arizona's pass rush had the or generated the third lowest pressure rate within two and a half seconds, according to according to True Media in week one. So I mean, nothing about Arizona changed my opinion. They are the worst team in the league. They were giving seven points to the Commanders, lost by six with a uh, weird fumble return touchdown. I think Giants. They have matchup advantages all over the field. My only concern is Andrew Thomas not practicing today. He's dealing with a hamstring injury. That would be my concern because that offensive line for the Giants is not good. And you would want at least your uh, start starting left tackle out there. But I think situa situation on Zuma here, like uh, great bounce back spot um, for the Giants. Big coaching advantage um i don't really expect too much from arizona and i think that the giants um are a very decent looking side here i'm in agreement with you guys on this one uh, my number is six ish which is like some small edge on the giants in this game uh, the andrew thomas injury is definitely concerning but it's way more concerning against 
probably 20 other teams in the league and not so concerning against Arizona. Uh, this was a thing with the Giants last year. Again, here we go, situational trends and stuff like that. But they did actually have a very uh, do a very good job of bouncing back off of losses last season. I think they're a very well-coached team. I think that kind of gets lost in the shuffle sometimes, and people just absolutely dismiss it as nothing and irrelevant, short sample size, small sample size trends and stuff like that. Um, but I think Suma made some really good points because from a pure pressure rate perspective, Arizona is going to be top of the charts from their game last week. Uh, but I do think that a lot of that was Sam Howell just being um, gun shy, essentially, in a lot of situations last week. And you would expect that out of a young quarterback. So I think clean sweep here on the New York Giants across the board, in le at least in terms of uh, a lean from all three of us. Uh, before we get into our best bets here, I do want to remind everyone before we do um, that we do have a ton of content here on Forward Progress over the course of the year. Stuff has been great so far. I'm tuning into our own content every day. Naturally, I would. I am, you know, part of the hammer. I have a vested interest in doing so, but it's actually been really good. Tomorrow's episode, 2 p.m. Eastern, Hitman and Eric Eager join our producer, Jason, and they're going to break down Thursday night football where the Vikings have taken a ton of money today. Uh, Hitman will go through some of the props in that as well. So big Thursday on deck tomorrow. Over on the Hammer HQ tomorrow night, I'll be doing a live watch along of Vikings and Eagles as well, as I will for every Monday night football and Thursday night football game over the course of the year. But tons of content here on Forward Progress. So make sure you do subscribe to the channel, set bell notifications. And if you haven't done so already, make sure you smash that like button. Suma, we're going to start with you for best bets for this week. Who is it and why? It's the Atlanta Falcons uh, getting one and a half or two points, depending on the place. I think Pinnacle is at plus two, minus 110. Um, I like this matchup for Atlanta. Um, yes, Desmond Ritter didn't really look sharp last week. Um, he had some issues, but I also think that he played against one of the best defensive coordinators in the game, who made his life very tough. Like the, the the Panthers got pressure up front. They were covering decently at the back end, except for Kyle Pitts, who was open on like five uh, shorter routes. But in general, I think that the Panthers defense played quite solid against the pass. And I'm not sold on the Packers defense. I'm not sold on Joe Barry. And I think that the Falcons are going to have a significant edge when running the football here. Um, safety situation with, with Rudy Ford is bad for the Packers. Um, Quay Walker, uh, we don't know whether he was about to make a leap this year, but he's in the concussion protocol. I also don't like the um, cornerback depth outside of J.U. Alexander. I think that the Bears offense made the Packers defense look much better than they truly are. And I think that this is a classic Arthur Smith Falcons ground and pound game. Um, and I also think that the Falcons defense is better than last year. And um, yeah, overall, great matchup for the Falcons. I don't think they should be dogs right now. We will see on Christian Watson. He was, I think he will be DNP uh, today. I have him in with a 50% chance. If he's out, even better for the bad. But yeah, I like that Falcons matchup. And I want to sprinkle in some situational Zuma here because... It's a back-to-back -back road game for the Packers and the Falcons been sleeping in their beds for over four weeks now, if that matters to someone. Uh, it could matter to someone. It matters to you, Suma. 
So it matters <laughs> at the end of the day. Uh, Hitman, we're going to the same game for you. Uh, who do you like and why? What do you like and why, I should say? Yeah, so I like Green Bay, Atlanta, under 40 and a half. Both teams were bottom three in pass rate over expectation in week one. And Desmond Ritter had the shortest average depth of target of any quarterback in the league. In fact, 50% of his passes were at or behind the line of scrimmage. And if you think about how are they going to push the ball down the field in this game, their number one weapon, Drake London, is going to be covered by Jari Alexander. That's shut down some great receivers, including Justin Jefferson, in the past. So what other receivers do they really have? It's going to be a lot of Bijan Robinson catching screen passes, short routes, and Kyle Pitts. Who knows if they're going to use him? They haven't so far during the Arthur Smith era. And then Green Bay. You know, if you look at their metrics last week, they scored a lot of points against Chicago, but a lot of it was on Love just being absolutely unreal on third and fourth down, which is kind of unsustainable. Green Bay, there was a lot of talk about their pace in years past. They were the slowest offense in the league, and people were saying, well, it was an Aaron Rodgers thing. He likes to play slow. Well, they were the sixth slowest offense last week, so maybe it's a little bit of a LaFleur thing. Both teams attracted lots of under money in their games last week. We obviously have the injuries for the two most explosive playmakers on Green Bay. These are two defenses that Green Bay's invested a ton to first-round picks over the past few years. Their owner came out before the year saying this is going to be a team that's going to win with defense in the first half of the season. And Atlanta spent a ton of money on free agency to get this defense better. So for me, Falcons, Packers, under 40 and a half. All right. So Suma on the Falcons, Hitman on the under in that game. I'm switching to Monday night football here. This is a hold your nose special. Last week I went with the Raiders against the Broncos. And my whole thing was I don't trust the Broncos to win by margin ever. Maybe a little bit of recency bias, but I do not trust the Saints to win by margin at this point either. I think the offense has some real problems. Obviously they have some very good receivers there in uh, New Orleans. However, the offensive line, I was very concerned about the interior going into last week. They did not perform well. Their left tackle, Trevor Penning, was awful. I do think the Panthers can really get home in this game. The J.C. Horn injury matters, but I do think Carolina is going to be able to generate a pretty decent pass rush against Derek Carr, who's been flustered in the past, especially in some of these road games where he's outdoors, where his success rate, EPA metrics, pretty much every metric you want to look at for Derek Carr gets a whole lot worse when he's playing outdoors on the road. This has historically been a situation where he has struggled to cover, especially as a favorite. I'm doing a hybrid number um, similar to what I did with the Raiders last week. So Pinnacle is kind of in the 3.25 range. Play a half unit on the plus three, plus 105, a half unit on the plus three and a half, minus 117. Do I have concerns about the Panthers offense? Yes, I do. With that said, a little bit of a misleading box score last week. The first drive against the Atlanta Falcons, they went down the field. They got stuffed on fourth down. Uh, their yards per play metrics were better than the Atlanta Falcons. Um, 24 to 10, not truly indicative of how tight that that game was overall. And Bryce Young, again, on the road, first career start, much different than returning home here against the New Orleans Saints, where I think they'll have the benefit of the running game as well, considering the Saints' internal um, interior of their defense is not the strongest in terms of stopping the run. Last thing I will say, 
I watched Saints Titans in its completion. Um, very misleading final score there as well. The Titans had a touchdown blown dead, a defensive touchdown blown dead. Um, that's not going to show up in a box score anywhere. That would have been absolutely a touchdown in that game. Ryan Tannehill missed two wide open touchdowns in that game as well. There was a lot of opportunity for Tennessee to score that they just did not capitalize on. But that's going to be it for me. The Carolina Panthers, hold your nose special, plus three, plus 105. I know people will hate it. I kind of hate it. But you got to trust your numbers. And I honestly think the matchup is pretty solid as well. Um, someone asking, Daryl's asking about survivor picks. Uh, that's covered on the Thursday show. We'll give the guys one more day just to see how like ownership is playing out and stuff like that. So tune in tomorrow, 2 p.m. Eastern time with Hitman Eric Eager and producer Jason. That's it for us this week on Forward Progress. Again, I'd ask you one more time on the way out the door, just make sure you like and subscribe to our content. If you're listening to this after the fact, um, same thing, like, subscribe, audio form. Just make sure you give us a review for myself, Rob Pizzola, for the Hitman, for Suma, Situational Suma, as he will now be known going forth. They called me Trendy Rob last year. We got Situational Suma now. We'll come up with something for Hitman at some point or another. But appreciate everyone who tuned in here live. This has been Forward Progress, presented by Pinnacle Sportsbook on the Hammer Betting Network. Everyone, good luck with your bets this week, and we'll see you next week. 